Welcome to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. My name is Frank. I am the host of the show, and I'm happy that you can join and listen today. If you've listened to previous episodes of the show, thank you for coming back. If this is the first time you're listening, welcome, and I hope you will enjoy the show and continue to be a listener. This podcast discusses three topics, movies, sports, and politics. Each episode will be dedicated to one of these topics. Today's show will center on movies. The show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox under Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. Please subscribe to the show on any one of these podcast apps so that you can receive new episodes directly to your device when they become available. If you listen on iTunes, please rate and review the show. This is a very important and simple way you can help this particular show reach a wider audience. You can also always get the show from our website at www.letmebendyourear.com. I want to start today by talking about my previous episode, if you've listened to it, episode number eight, uh, my interview with Scott Ditchie, the author of Cigar City Mafia. Uh, I'm bringing up the previous episode because I wanted to thank everyone that listened and checked it out. Um, as far as my website traffic numbers, uh, this particular episode is the most downloaded and sought after episode since I've started the show, and I was hoping that that would be the case. So first of all, I hope everyone that did listen to it enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it. Uh, I am planning on having Scott back on for a future show uh, to discuss his second book regarding the Tampa mob. The second book is The Silent Dawn. That specifically addresses Santo Traficante Jr., uh, the mob boss of Tampa, for about 30 years or so. If you listen to episode 8, we speak about Traficante in the larger picture of the mafia, but this second book is specifically about him. So I'm definitely going to have him on in the future to discuss that particular book as well. So again, uh, if you haven't listened to episode 8, I would really uh, recommend that you check it out. If you haven't listened to the show at all, that's definitely a good episode to check out, as I hope you would check out any of the other episodes. As you'll see, uh, we have a variety of topics in sports, movies. Uh, we need to do more in politics. I haven't really gotten to dive into that other than some things I spoke about specifically in episode eight as well regarding polarization and engagement, which are the two things I think will help politics. I'm going to have another show uh, regarding polarization as it relates to the Supreme Court and picking justices for the court. So look out for that in the near future. I also wanted to reach out. I have a listener, and I don't know who this person is, and I reached out on Twitter, but I don't know if this particular person follows on Twitter. But I wanted to, hopefully they'll get to this episode, and I want to send out a, a sincere thank you to them. There's a listener in Oregon that, when I look at my website analytics, they have gone to the website and checked out every single episode of the podcast since I've started it. Uh, not in not in chronological order, but in pretty much looked at every part of the site. And I really appreciate that. And I want to send uh, a note of thank you out to this person, whoever you are, and uh, at least offer some sort of thanks for doing that. So here's what I propose. And I propose it on Twitter as well. If this listener can reach out to me, and again, this listener is from Oregon, and I have a specific place in Oregon where they're accessing the site from, so I'm going to keep that part to myself. So if the listener in Oregon can hear this particular episode, if you can reach out to me, email me at bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com, 
and let me know where in Oregon you're from. And if you can tell me the last piece of content that you downloaded, if you can give me those two pieces of information, what I can do, just a small thank you. But what I'll do is the next episode that will be coming up after you reach out to me. So whatever that next episode will be, whenever you reach out to me, I'll, I will make sure to email you that episode before it's posted for everybody else. So it's not a, a big reward, but I definitely want to send a thank you in that form to show you my appreciation for your loyalty to the to the show and hopefully you're enjoying it so hopefully you'll continue to access the website or even do it through a podcast app but i wanted to tell all my listeners about this particular one i really appreciate the loyalty and i've really enjoyed doing this podcast on a side note i just on a personal note when i saw that this person from oregon was really looking at the site a lot and 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 really accessing everything that was on there it really made me feel good even if this is the only person that's doing that it really is been rewarding for me to do this podcast. It's something that I look forward to every week. And, you know, we all face challenges in our life and, and things that are good, things that are not so good. And I would recommend to anyone that's going through any issue that they're struggling with to find something that they really enjoy, that they can make their own and, and be passionate about. And for me, it's been this podcast. Um, if you've listened to the show since I've relaunched it, I had a podcast a couple of years ago called Critic from the Couch uh, that I did um, kind of in fits and starts, and it was it was fun, and then I let it kind of wane as, you know, life interferes with things, and you kind of deal with stuff, and as I've listened to other podcasters, independent podcasters, I've seen, you know, everyone has their struggles in life, and sometimes it delays episodes that come out, so I'm trying to be committed to making an episode every week and then some video bonus cast. But I'm just really talking about this because for me, this has been really, really enjoyable. And of course, I want to get as many people as possible listening and downloading and telling their friends. So that's definitely the long term goal. But this person in Oregon really just kind of re not that I needed re-energizing, but it just kind of made me happy to see that that person was committed to the show so again if that person from oregon can email the show at bend your ear podcast at gmail.com i just need you to tell me where you're from and if you can remember the last thing you downloaded from the site i will send you the next episode after you email me before anyone else gets it so you'll be the first one to get it if you can reach out to me and even if 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 you're not interested in that even just to 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 have a dialogue i want to thank you personally for checking it out. You don't have to. There's so many things to choose from. So I am appreciative of it. And I'm appreciative to anyone who's taken, gone to the website or downloaded one of my shows. And uh, I'm appreciative, appreciative of all of that. So not just a person in Oregon that's done all of it, but anyone that's checked it out. And uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it. So thank you for that. So I'm going to start the show today with uh, a quick review. I actually saw the movie Christopher Robin last week. And I wanted to give a quick review of the movie. So anyone that's familiar with the character of Christopher Robin, you know that he comes from, he's a little boy in the Winnie the Pooh books that were turned into movies by Disney. So this is a live action Disney film regarding the Pooh story. So basically the take on this one is the movie begins with young Christopher Robin leaving his friend. So Winnie the Pooh, Tigger, Eeyore, Owl, all the characters that you know from the from the book series and from the movies. He is leaving the Hundred Acre Wood because 
his father is sending him to boarding school. So the movie opens with a a lunch that they're all eating together and Christopher Robin saying goodbye and and there's a conversation with him and Pooh about whether he'll forget about him and then he goes off to boarding school and then you get a montage of him growing up um, going to through teenage years through adulthood and then eventually he meets his future wife before he ends up being sent to war as a soldier so his wife is pregnant at the time he leaves so he goes to war he ends up coming back from war um, to his bride and his daughter and then gets a job as an efficiency expert at a luggage company so the movie kind of starts there and kind of sets up the remainder of the film where the boss christopher robbins boss informs him that he needs to cut 20 percent of the staff and has a weekend to do it he had already had plans with his wife and daughter to go to their cottage for the weekend and he has to stay in town so of course the movie kind of talks about their relationship there in the family and kind of the strain between the wife and the husband over the daughter because he's going to repeat kind of what his dad did with him and send her to a prestigious boarding school so the daughter is obviously not into that and is wanting to stay in london and continue schooling there so she could be with her parents so that kind of sets up how the movie goes so christopher robin is struggling with with cutting the 20 percent of the workforce and and it's a story about that's a common theme you see in movies it's about the things in childhood that you know make that you lose as you become an adult and i won't give away too much of the movie but basically winnie the pooh ends up in london where christopher robin currently lives and let's just say finds christopher robin they end up going on kind of a quest for something that they need and the movie kind of goes forward through there and then the daughter ends up getting involved so um, a lot of a lot of good scenes in the movie ewan mcgregor plays christopher robin of course great actor so he does a great job with the role uh, Haley atwell plays his wife and uh it's a good movie uh there are parts of it that i liked uh you know some touching moments in the movie if you're a fan of winnie the pooh and of that character i think it's probably going to pull at your heartstrings more than it did mine uh it was a good movie uh, i think it's good for kids uh, my son is four i think he was paying attention through most of it so i think he got most of it um, and it was a good movie the uh like i said it's it's gotten some really really positive reviews i think it's a decent movie uh, i don't think it's a great movie i think i was expecting more from it uh, but it was it was good for what it was it's a, it's a gentle kind-hearted story so like i said it's a good family movie so there's not a lot of those around so definitely check it out if you uh, have a family or love the winnie the pooh story i'm gonna go ahead and give it three and a half fan goes so so three and a half fan goes for disney's christopher robin now the main subject of today's show as i posted on twitter and facebook is the academy awards so the uh, academy that gives out the oscars every year which is the most prestigious movie awards of the season and it culminates kind of the season you have the golden globes the independent spirit awards other movie awards that come out they just announced that they are going to add a new category and the category is outstanding achievement in popular film so i read about it kind of briefly last week and almost didn't think anything of it and then i started to see online a lot of backlash and articles from movie magazines and critics that basically were horrified at the notion of a popular film category 
just saying how it's pandering, it's it's a sellout, it's, I mean, basically people spinning out of control. So my first reaction is, I think even my first reaction was, well, that's interesting, that's kind of a um, vague way to to give an award out. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But then I thought about it a little bit more, and then I'm like, wait a minute. Why is there such backlash for a category in popular film? And when I started to think about it, it made me really kind of look into it and what my thoughts are about it. So let me start with why I think they're doing it with some data. So I'm going to start by listing the last five Academy Award winning films. So the last five years of box office, uh, the box office receipts of each of the best picture winners for the last five years. So the Academy Award for best picture and what they made. So in 2017, we'll go most recent first. So in this most recent Academy Awards, Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water won for best picture. That movie took in $63 million. So before I continue, I'm sorry, I meant to say this. So for the purposes of this discussion, normally a film is considered a blockbuster when it reaches $100 million. Now, I know that number is probably going to be higher nowadays because with all the superhero and tentpole and high-budgeted features, those can typically have at least a $200 million budget. So I would think the threshold is probably closer to $150 million, not $100. But for the sake of this argument, um, we're going to keep it at $100 million to keep it simple. So $100 million is considered usually a blockbuster film, especially if the film is a lower-budgeted film, like a film... Good example. That's why the horror genre continues to be a genre that's viable because you have a film like Get Out that came out last year, probably with a budget, and I didn't look it up, but probably thirty to thirty-five million dollars, and it grosses over a hundred million. That's a huge success financially. So back to The Shape of Water, 2017 Best Picture winner that grossed sixty-three million dollars. In 2016, the Best Picture was Moonlight, which was the the docudrama regarding the Boston Globe's reporting of. Uh, the pedophilia among the Catholic priest in the in the Boston um, diocese. Great movie, I saw it. Um, that movie grossed twenty seven million dollars. Or excuse me, let me back that up. Two thousand sixteen was Moonlight. I skipped a year. I'm sorry. Moonlight, best picture for last year. Um, the coming of age drama of uh, of a gay man. Great film. That movie grossed $27 million, so I take that back. I'm sorry. So 2016's Best Picture, Moonlight, $27 million. 2015 was Spotlight. Again, another great film about the Boston Globe and covering of the, of the Catholic priest in Boston. That movie grossed $45 million. 2014 was Birdman Best Picture. That starred Michael Keaton. That film grossed $42 million. Then in 2013, so five years ago, the Best Picture winner was 12 Years a Slave. And that film grossed $56 million. So that's the highest of the last five years of Best Picture winners. Oh, excuse me. Second highest, $63 million Shape of Water was the highest. So let's compare that to the box office of the Best Picture winners from the early 2000s. So I'm going to start in 2000. The winner for Best Picture in 2000 was Gladiator, the Ridley Scott-directed film with Russell Crowe. That film grossed. $187 million. 2001, the Best Picture winner was A Beautiful Mind, film directed by Ron Howard starring Russell Crowe. That film grossed $170 million. 2002, 
Best Picture winner was Chicago. So the movie version of the musical. That film grossed $170 million. 2003's Best Picture was The Lord of the Rings Return of the King, which was the final film in the initial Lord of the Rings trilogy. Of course, now, subsequently, you know, Peter Jackson made three more films around The Hobbit. But this was The Return of the King, which is the culmination of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. That film grossed $377 million. 2004, the Best Picture winner was Million Dollar Baby, film directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Morgan Freeman and Hilary Swank. That film grossed $100 million. 2005's Best Picture winner was Crash, the film written and directed by Mike Figgis with a large ensemble cast discussing issues of race. That film grossed $54 million. So you see in 2005 a serious drop in box office from 2004 Best Picture winner. So that started a trend where the Best Picture winner subsequently the box office went down and subsequently the Oscar ratings went down. Now, jump to 2008. So 2008, interesting year. Slumdog Millionaire won for Best Picture. Excellent film directed by Danny Boyle. That film grossed $141 million. So for the purposes of this discussion, blockbuster film. But something interesting happened that year. 2008 was also the year The Dark Knight came out. Now, The Dark Knight was the second film in the Batman trilogy that was directed by Christopher Nolan. So he started with Batman Begins in 2005, and in 2008, the sequel, The Dark Knight, came out. So that film did incredible box office. I actually didn't pull the box office numbers from there, but I'm sure it did, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, and I can pull it up here real quick. But the more important part of this is The Dark Knight was universally acclaimed by critics, not only as one of the best superhero movies, but one of the best movies of that year or any year, and it's a great film. And what's great about The Dark Knight is it's even though it's a Batman story, it's essentially set up as a large-scale crime film. And critics have, have written about this, and I agree. The biggest comparison I can make it is, if anyone has seen the 1995 movie Heat, directed by Michael Mann, which is a epic crime drama that had De Niro, Pacino, Val Kilmer, Ashley Judd, Tom Sizemore, incredible, incredible film. It's uh, it's uh, showpiece uh, segment of the movie is the bank heist that happens about the middle of that movie. But The Dark Knight really is a sprawling crime drama that deals with issues of privacy and what lengths do we go to to give up our privacy for safety. So Christopher Nolan tries to take tackle larger issues. And then, of course, within all of that, you have the legendary performance of Heath Ledger as the Joker, which he was posthumously honored with an Academy Award. So The Dark Knight comes out in 2008, universally acclaimed one of the most successful movies of the year. So at the time, if you remember, right when the Academy Award nominations were close to being announced, it was pretty much going to be a slam dunk that The Dark Knight would be one of the uh, Best Picture nominees and then make history as one of the first superhero movies to be nominated for Best Picture. That was almost a given considering what was going on at the time. So the nominees come out that year. And shockingly, The Dark Knight is not nominated. So Heath Ledger is nominated for Best Supporting Actor and ultimately wins. But the film itself 
is not nominated for Best Picture. So there is a large outcry from not just people that love comic book movies, but from a lot of film buffs alike. It's pretty a pretty glaring omission from that year. It was one of the best films of the year, and I think uh, it goes without saying. I don't think there was any disagreement about that. So what happened was the Academy took notice of this, and shortly after that year's Academy Awards, the Academy decided to increase the number of Best Picture nominees from 5 to 10. So even then, I remember when that happened, there was some backlash and pushback about doing that, you know, diluting the type of movies that are going to go in. But there was a lot of things that came to a head, the Dark Knight effect, as I call it. Also, you had some pushback from the people at Disney and Pixar who make top drawer animated films and they were feeling slighted by the academy and here's the fact of the matter you can tell by what the movies they pick the academy obviously made a swing from the early 2000s to the mid 2000s that they were going to champion smaller lower budgeted little known films with without big stars in them or if they had stars in them little budgeted alternative fare now I don't necessarily have an issue with that. But by doing that, the ratings have cratered. They've plummeted. The year going back to 2015, when I told you that Spotlight was the Best Picture nominee, at that point, that was the lowest rated Oscar telecast in eight years. And the ratings have just gotten worse and worse and worse. So back to why I believe that adding an outstanding achievement in popular film is a great idea first of all let's 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 be honest the oscar telecast is a television show television shows need ratings so they can get advertisers and charge top dollar for advertising the show's ratings are terrible they need a way to boost the ratings if you look at the ratings of the academy awards some of the highest rated ones not by accident are 1998 when titanic was released or 97 i believe and 2003 when Lord of the Rings won, when it picked up, I think, 13 or 14 Academy Awards, one of the highest rated telecasts in Oscar history. That's not an accident. Films that millions and millions of people see, when they're nominated for Best Picture, they're going to be more inclined to watch the Academy Awards and see if the picture that they loved was a winner. So to me, that's a weird reason number one. So, And I get it. The second reason that goes along with ratings is connection with the audience. The films that are winning Best Picture in the last few years, Shape of Water, Moonlight, Spotlight, Birdman, and 12 Years a Slave. I haven't seen all of these films. I've seen Spotlight and I've seen Moonlight. The other films, critically acclaimed, universally critically acclaimed, but unfortunately not many people saw them. And not many people knew who were in the movies, what the movies were about. So why would they even entertain watching a three-hour-plus Oscar telecast with a series of movies that they've never heard of. When they've watched other films like Transformers or The Hangover or The Dark Knight or other movies that are popular or pick your Marvel movie. As I put in my Facebook poll, that's why I put that poll out on Facebook regarding what what movie would you pick for a popular film. So nobody's going to watch a movie or an award show with movies that they've never heard of and never seen or will ever see. 
So that's another reason I think it's a good idea. If you can bring in people, and this is the thing I, the thing I think that movie snobs don't understand. If you bring people in with a category like that to nominate films like The Hangover or The Dark Knight or Avengers Infinity War or pick a movie that's been popular, Fast and Furious, whatever you want to pick, you bring them in for that and then you can show them other films that maybe they would not have been exposed to. One of the great joys of my life in being a movie fan is when I would watch the old Siskel and Ebert television show uh, at the movies. Being a kid in Tampa, Florida, there weren't a lot of alternative movie fare or access to movie media. That was the show where you found out what movies were coming out, and not just the big movies, but smaller movies. And I, w- I learned more about movies from those two critics and were exposed to more great movies through that medium than anything when I was a kid. Now we're fortunate to be in an age of internet where you have access to pretty much everything whenever you want. And having a popular film category in the Oscars, I think, brings people in for that. But hopefully they stay for movies that maybe they wouldn't have checked out. Maybe they will see a movie like Moonlight. Maybe they will see some clips of Shape of Water and go check that out. Or check out a smaller film that they would have never otherwise looked at. Because something may spark their interest while they're watching the popular film category. So, you know, snobs like to, to... to to take shots at these popular movies or popcorn movies. And me, I am a huge movie buff, but I've never been a movie snob. I love alternative movies. You know, I can discuss movies uh, of different genres, film noir, French New Wave, you know, all the different genres of movies that have come since the invention of movies. And I love classic cinema, cinema from around the world. Akira Kurosawa is one of my favorite directors. You know, I love that as much as anyone and dissecting films and talking about that in a scholarly way. But I also love popcorn movies. Jaws, the first Transformers movie, the Marvel movies when they're done great. Movies to me are at the heart entertainment, things that transport you to a different place. Now, sometimes that place is another world, and sometimes that place is a dark, dirty, dramatic, serious place. But all of these movies to me have the same level of appreciation in my mind. And I think a lot of times movie scholars and movie snobs, as I call them, kind of ignore popular entertainment and kind of just dismiss it. And that's always a constant thing with, with art versus commerce, and that kind of comes into place. But the other thing that I think a lot of times these, these people that have a kind of stuck-up opinion of movies that are not highbrow, quote-unquote, is movies like Transformers and Fast and Furious, and I'm not a fan of Fast and Furious. I have no desire to see those movies. I think they're terrible. But I understand that movies like Fast and Furious, movies like Transformers, movies like Jurassic Park, those movies make hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars worldwide. That gives the ability for these studios, if they're so inclined, to finance smaller films. If you don't have these giant movies that make a lot of money, then it's harder to next to impossible for these smaller movies to exist in the space. Now, the one thing I will say, and I will admit that is an issue, and I'll concede this point, and it's a good point, the collateral damage of that aspect of the movie business nowadays is that smaller films have a harder time finding a theatrical place to look at movies. Now, the one thing I will say where I'm a purist is I love, and I don't get to do it, unfortunately, as often as I can with 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 a child and work and things getting in the way, is to enjoy a movie on a big screen in the theater. I love that experience still. 
and I don't get to do it very often. And I do concede that smaller movies are getting boxed out of theaters where 20, 30 years ago I could go see a lot of smaller movies or documentaries in a theater where there was more screen space. But when you have a, when you have a big movie opening or multiple big movies opening, they're taking up all the screen space because they make all the money. So I concede that that's an issue that maybe needs to be addressed. I understand that. But again, commerce versus art, that's the constant battle that, that seems to always take place with any kind of medium of, of art, whether it's books or movies or you know the visual arts or painting, anything like that. So there's always the kind of upper class, upper brow, high brow snobbery where it comes to low brow or what people consider low brow entertainment or entertainment for the masses. So this category I think is very important. And another reason why I think it's a great idea, back in the 60s, what type of films won Best Picture? You had a movie like The Apartment Star and Jack Lemmon, which was a comedy that would win. Comedies would win or be recognized pretty regularly by the Oscars. You had great directors like Billy Wilder, Some Like It Hot, um, that movie with Monroe and Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon. Those movies were regularly recognized or musicals. Now, granted, musicals are kind of few and far between nowadays, even though you had La La Land that had a lot of acclaim last year or a couple of years ago, excuse me. This category will allow movies that are underappreciated. And here's, here's a genre that's underappreciated, comedies, except the Golden Globes who honors best comedy or musical. Comedies are utterly shut out, just as much as superhero movies are utterly shut out, just like the case of Dark Knight. The Hangover, which I put in my poll, was a monster hit comedy that critics loved and audiences loved. So both critics and audience loved it. I'm not particularly a huge fan of it, but I know critically it was acclaimed and audience was huge to the point where two sequels were spawned from it. So why can't a movie like The Hangover be recognized in this particular category? Probably would have been. Outstanding achievement in popular film. To me, if you make a film, comedy is harder than drama, period. It is hard to make a comedy that makes most people laugh. Just like anything else, comedy is super subjective. If you like Will Ferrell, you'll love Will Ferrell movies. If you don't like Will Ferrell, you're not going to like Will Ferrell movies. It is hard to make a comedy. It's really hard. So when something like The Hangover comes out and both critics and audiences agree that it's great and they support it with the dollars and the critics support it with positive reviews, why is that not worthy of Oscar consideration? I find that ridiculous. I find it ridiculous. There is a prejudice between uh, or actually towards a couple of types of genres, superhero movies, comedies, and I would even add animated films. At least they addressed it by adding the animated film category, which I'm glad they did. Now, 1991, Beauty and the Beast, first and only picture nominated for Best Picture. None since then, zero. Hasn't happened since 1991. So I've seen Toy Story 3. I think most people have seen Toy Story 3. That was one of the best pictures of that year it came out. That is the first animated movie that had me choked up. And if you've seen the movie, you know what scene I'm talking about. An animated movie had me choked up. The emotional resonance of a particular scene in that movie transcended it being an animated film. And it was one of the best films of that year. And it should have been nominated for a regular Oscar, not just an animated Oscar. And I saw Coco this past year, another good movie with a very emotional core to it. 
Inside Out, which I have not seen, I heard it was spectacular. And also, I think, won the animated film Best Picture. So there is a definite prejudice between very successful films, superhero films, and animated films. This new category, I think, can address that issue pretty definitively and get people back involved in this movie. And here's the thing, and I I talk politics on this podcast as well, and I know I haven't done really enough of that, but there is a political element to the Oscars, and, I, and I'll just go into it briefly. The current administration has done a great job, and actually the Republican Party of of basically painting the two worlds that we kind of, they say we live in, which is East Coast, West Coast, liberal, suburban versus rural. And now, while a lot of that is political hyperbole, a lot of it's true. You have New York and Los Angeles, both areas of entertainment, and you have the flyover states, as I like to call them. And I think in these flyover states, or if you want to call them red states, whatever you want to call them, there is a disconnect with the Oscars. I think they see it as elitist. I think they see it as not in touch with what people across the country are looking at cinema-wise. And I think to a certain extent, that's true. Now, again, I have no problem with the Oscars championing smaller films. I love to see smaller films that I would have never been exposed to had it not been for critical reviews or for the Oscars. So, again, I want that to be the the case. So, again, that's not going to change. By adding this category... That doesn't change. If you have an achievement in popular film and movies like The Hangover or Dark Knight get 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 nominated, you know what's going to happen with the regular category of Best Picture? Nothing's going to change. I think it's still going to be smaller films, directors that are acclaimed that maybe not a lot of people know, not a lot of big popcorn movies. Again, they expanded the category to 10 from 5 with the intended effect of getting other movies in. And that's only worked to limited effect anyway. So even when they did that, nothing really changed that much. So again, as I pointed out, the last five Best Picture winners, the highest grossing one was slight was over about $62 million, which was The Shape of Water, which is decent, but it's not Blockbuster. And that was the highest one of the last five years. Now, again, is, blockbuster, is box office important? It is for the business of show business, but it's show business, and money is important. But again, the commerce versus art argument is always there, and again... When you look at this, they are out of touch with a lot of the country. And I think to their credit, they're recognizing that. And adding this category is not the end of the world. To read some of the stuff I read, adding this one category, you would have thought was Armageddon. It's ridiculous. They're adding a category. And I think the other thing they proposed is shortening the show. Again, good idea. That show was teetering on four hours. That's nonsense. That that's nonsense. In the world that we live in today with with on demand and Netflix and Hulu, people are not gonna watch anything for four hours. And look, I watch the Oscars every year because I'm a hardcore movie fan. I'm one of the few people that do watch it. And I watch it after I DVR it so I can go through all the commercials and zip through the stuff I don't want to watch. So even I'm watching it in an altered way than they're presenting it. So if they add a category to connect with more of the of the audience and to add popular films, I think it's a win for them and a pro- potentially a win for other films because you use that those big movies again to as an entrance as a gateway to a movie that maybe you would have never discovered otherwise if not for looking at the big movie that you had watched that you were rooting for because that's the one thing America is very good at they're rooting 
for things that they like. And I'm sorry, Shape of Water, not many people saw. So why would you root for it? A lot of people saw Transformers. A lot of people saw Fast and Furious. A lot of people saw The Hangover. So guess what? They hear that it's an Oscar-nominated film. They're going to tune in and hope that it wins because that's what people do. They pick a horse and then they root for it to win. So I know people don't like that or maybe they think it's lowbrow. But look, again, this is a television show and the television show is looking for ratings. And if people don't understand that, it's kind of a little hypocritical. You have people that are in show business. I'm not talking about critics because critics are there to look at a film and give it their honest opinion of whether they like it, dislike it, the the the, the features of it, the, the great things about it, the not so good things about any movie. So this is not really towards critics this is really towards kind of the people that kind of want it both ways they want they want movies to be successful but then they get snobby about movies that are successful because maybe they're not as quote-unquote serious films as some of the best picture winners or deep or you know layered or anything like that so again for me i think it's a great idea i think it will help the broadcast and i and i would i would guess that the ratings will increase. Now, I don't know how much it will increase. Maybe it'll be minimal, but I think it'll be more than minimal because if they add this category, pick some really good films, because look, popular entertainment, well-done entertainment is a good movie. To me, my philosophy about movies is I don't care what genre the movie is as long as the movie's good and entertaining. And the fact that an outstanding comedy can't get a Best Picture nomination is ridiculous or an outstanding horror film or an outstanding romantic comedy, or an outstanding musical, or an outstanding animated film can't get into the general best picture category. That's nonsense. Now, Get Out broke through as a horror film, but I think even in that case, I think that film was nominated because I think a lot of the critics, rightfully so, pointed out the sly way that Jordan Peele made a film about race and wrapped it up in a horror genre. So I think they applauded the brilliance of that screenplay and rewarded his screenplay with him, of course, winning ultimately the Oscar. More of the racial topics that it discussed more than the fact that it was a horror film. So I don't even give them the credit for saying they have acknowledged a horror genre. I think they acknowledged a film that they thought was racially smart and smartly presented and original. And I think that's what they were, which, which is great. I mean, that there's nothing wrong with that. And it was great to see something different. But again, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't acclaimed because it was a horror film. It was acclaimed because of the other aspects of that story. So again, horror films are, are, are discarded. And look, I'm not a horror film buff or specifically a horror film fan. But the good ones are good. The first Halloween, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, another Wes Craven movie, Serpent in the Rainbow. I love certain horror films that are extremely well executed. Even though it's not my favorite genre of film, I love them and they should be acclaimed and they should have a chance to get those kind of prizes that elude them just because they're a genre picture. Uh, movies of all genres have excellence in them, even B-movies. So again, I think this is a great idea. I think anyone that's really against it is just pushing back either because they're movie snobs or because they don't like change or there's always pushback when there's something new. So again, kudos to the Oscars. I think that's a good start. If they can shorten the program as well, I think they'll even be uh, in a lot better shape. So let me know what you think about this show or any other show. Again, the website is www.letmebendyourear.com. 
You can subscribe to the show on any of the following podcast apps. iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, or on CastBox. I also have a YouTube channel that is under Let Me Bend Your Ear Podcast. Uh, please follow me on Twitter if you're on there. The Twitter handle is at BendYourEarPod. Instagram is also BendYourEarPod. Again, any suggestions, comments, anything you want to talk to me about directly, you can email the show at BendYourEarPodcast at gmail.com. Now, if you're listening on iTunes, I'm going to reiterate again. Please at least rate the show. Uh, five-star review would be great. If you could write a review, that would be even better. I uh, wrote a review for a podcast uh, the other day that did it for me as well. In the iTunes mystery kind of world that I don't know of the podcast area of that particular platform, rating and reviewing is a huge factor. It generates uh, popularity and it generates exposure for the show and in the algorithms, however it works, and I don't know how they work, the more rating and reviews that you get, the higher a show will go in the search. So if people are searching for something about movies or sports or politics, which this show takes on, uh, the more ratings and reviews I get, the higher the show um, comes in the search results. So if somebody's looking for a show... Uh, that they've listened to about movies and then they're looking for other shows. If you rate and review this show and I get a lot of those, the profile of this show pops up higher on the search. So, of course, obviously, for a show that's looking for an audience, that's very important. So, again, if you could do that, I'd really appreciate it. At this point, too, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of of podcasts. I want to start with uh, Piping Hot Podcast. Um, Go ahead and follow them. They actually rated and reviewed my show and i really appreciate that so i return the favor to them so any podcasters want to reach out to me uh, to rate and review on itunes i will do the same as well and uh, i appreciate all of the people that have reached out to me either via twitter or by reviewing the show so i really appreciate that again can't thank the podcasting family enough being an independent podcaster as i stated earlier in the show has been a wonderful addition to my life. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy talking about things that I'm interested in and passionate about. And I appreciate every single listener, whether I have one or a thousand. And that leads me back to my Oregon listener. I'm going to reach out again. This is how important it is to me. At the top of the show, Oregon listener, if you're out there, if you're listening to this particular episode, whenever you get to this one, if you can email me at bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com, tell me where from Oregon you're from and the last thing that you downloaded from the site, I will email you the next episode after you email me before it's posted for everybody else i'll give you first crack at the next episode uh, once you reach out to me so hopefully you'll listen to this and reach out i really look forward to thanking you and uh saying thank you via the email or twitter if you end up finding me on twitter and and furthering that thank you by sending you uh, a new episode before anybody else gets it so again please uh, listener from oregon please reach out to me i really want to I'll touch base with you and, and give you my thanks and gratitude uh, for doing that. And my thanks and gratitude to all that have listened and sampled the show. Even if you listen to it and it's not your cup of tea, if you could do me a favor, if you have a friend or a family member or someone that you think would like the show, even if it wasn't for you, um, just tell a friend about it. Uh, share it on your social media or share it from your iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to this show. Again, my goal is to grow the audience. I'll say this every episode. Um, Like I said, last week, episode eight, my interview, uh, I was very proud to have that. And like I said, I want to try to get more guests on the show and growth and subscribers and downloads are are going to be the best way 
going forward to grow the show. Like this particular show, it's just me and I don't mind doing it. I like sitting on here and talking and talking about the things that I'm interested in. But I know that the more popular shows and the more engaging shows for the listeners are going to be shows where it's not just me talking, where it's me interacting with other people, whether it's in person or on a phone or getting someone with particular knowledge on a subject that I can interact with and give my thoughts on and trade back and forth ideas and suggestions and disagreements, agreements, and so forth. So again, tell a friend if you like the show. Um, like I said, give me feedback. I love to hear from you. Again, the email is bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com or the easiest way, I'm on Twitter all the time, at bendyourearpod. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everyone for their interest in episode eight again i was hoping to use that as a springboard and i did get the most interest on that show than i have at at, at any other point so i'm very happy that that turned out to be the case so hopefully you'll continue to listen and again any suggestions email the show and i want to thank everyone my fellow podcasters out there and i hope everyone has a wonderful week take care